Welcome to Rough Drafts, How God Writes His Love in Our Stories, a podcast that explores the faith journeys of our friends and neighbors in Burns, Tennessee. Everyone has a story to tell, and in this podcast, we'll hear powerful and inspiring stories of how God works in the ordinary lives of people like you and me. Our stories are unfinished and perfectly imperfect. They're just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. He's the pool boy. He's a cop. He's, I don't know what he is. He's a hockey dad. You have heard from his other half already. Today, I am glad to get the rest of the story from Joey Wink. Joey, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Excited. Um, I think the most important thing people need to know about you is your deep, uh, spiritual, undying passion and dedication to Waffle House. I love that place. I mean... It's never going to let me be a skinny guy, but, you know... (laughs) You know, you do what you got to do. I'm apparently a regular, is what they call me. (laughs) I can walk in the door and my meal is being cooked before I sit down. See, everybody needs a place like that in their lives. It's just become my, I guess, my getaway in the mornings. Yeah. And it's close to your work. It is. So I drive right by there on the way to the bank to do the deposit. Mm -hmm. After I get all the guys lined out, give me a little Waffle House breakfast, hit the bank for the day before's deposit, and go back to work, start the day. What's the standard order? Uh, At Waffle House, Mm -hmm. sausage, egg, and cheese bowl with only one hash brown. Okay. Not too many carbs, you know. Okay, you got to watch your figure. Yeah, got to keep it a little bit healthy. (laughs) There's no grease, but, you know, you'll be all right. Well, Joey, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, Sierra did a great job, and I just want to hear your God story. So, go. (laughs) Perfect. So, a little background is uh, right after I was born, uh, my dad been in the military, lived in Germany for six years. Don't remember a lot of it because I was born and six years old and then back here for the rest of my life. Funny how that works. Right. Um, For the most part, grew up in the church. Uh, I, I guess I would be what you would consider a church mutt. Okay. Um, my my it's a dad new term for me a church mud. Right. My dad, being predominantly German, okay. uh, comes from a Lutheran background. Yep. So we was very active with St. John's Lutheran when they were at the old warehouse building, oh, and okay. then we were our family was involved when they broke ground for the location they're at now here in yep. Burns. Uh, so went there uh, most of my childhood. On the other weekends, I might stay at friends' house and and. Thankfully, most of my friends went to church, but not all of them. And those are the ones that kind of corrupted me later in life. But uh, so went to West Dixon Church of Christ for a little while where I actually met Eric Petty oh, really? and reminded him of that when we started going here. And I'm like, I know you. That's funny. Uh, <clears throat> went there. Uh, we went to the Presbyterian Church for a little while. Um, when I met Sierra and started dating her in high school, uh, they went to Midway Church of Christ. Okay. So went out there. Uh, then they transitioned from Church of Christ to Methodist. So we went to Greenwood Methodist for a little while. Um, and just kind of bounced around to all different denominations. Uh, went to Assembly of God. Um, never did Jehovah's Witness. I did go to a Pentecostal church because uh, my brother's wife, that's where they go. Uh, you know, the, the every church I've been to all studies the same book. Yeah, that's the room. Inter- interpretations are just a little different sometimes. Right. But... 
So what, what I'm really going to say is you, you got around, man. You really got around. I did. You're I not did. A church mutt, you're a church hoe. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I learned a lot, and uh, I finally, that's where I got the realization that uh, in church, it's not about the building. It's about the study. Yeah. You know, we're all studying from the same book. Yeah. And so it's as long as we're learning the same scripture, everything's always going to be open for interpretation. Right. It's just, I try to tell people, I don't, I don't like it when you use one verse, but I'm going to here in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's more so, what's the verse leading up to it and the verse after? What's that whole story about? What's the context? Yeah. Uh, don't just take one verse. Uh, from being a police officer, a lot of people, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. But me and Wes Boker did a Bible study uh, when we were both working for the police department here in yeah. Dixon. And in that Bible study, it brought up that verse, and that verse is not talking about cops. Nowhere near it. Nowhere near it. Yeah. It's it's when you read the whole context, it's talking about being being a peacekeeper. Yeah. Uh, whether it's me, you, any the neighbors here beside the church, a peacemaker is somebody who makes it so that the cops don't need called. Exactly. You know. Yeah. But and you know, I I appreciate it. It is funny how many verses there are like that that we kind of um. Uh, co-opt you know, uh, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord everybody loves that verse it's really cool but when you read Jeremiah he's talking about I'm about to put you in captivity for 70 years and you're all going to die in a foreign country <coughs> and you can't not giggle a little bit every time you hear that verse at graduation speeches because you yeah. know the people who are hearing the verse think oh sweet God means I'm going to go to college and get married but well, maybe but he may also mean that you're going to go through all sorts of crap you don't want to go there you may meet the cops <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you, you may end up as one so right well that was my destiny i was either going to be in jail or work for the jail so you, you chose the side that pays worse but <laughs> yes because i've met criminals that have way more money than i have just off of their lifestyles but i gotta say a thing that just blew me away like i kind of thought criminals were dumb and they're not i mean there are some uh but people who've committed crimes well for one when you when you hear the word criminal very few people that you meet in jail are, quote, criminals. Correct. You know, most of them are, are people good who people did made a stupid. bad choice and got caught. Or I mean, who have a bad habit or hang out in some stupid places. Yeah. Um, wrong, wrong place, wrong time. Man, I have met some crazy smart people in there. Uh, best best artists I've ever met have been in there. I remember one of, one of my employees was uh, telling me after I hired him, he was like, I know you from being a cop. I was like, how do you know me? He's like, you were at this apartment complex busting up a party one night and we come knocking on the door and you answered the door and it was me. And you're like, I think it's best that you just turn around and leave. And he's like, yes, sir. And he's like, I got out of there. I was like, that's funny. Cause I remembered that call when he was talking about it. Um, you know, one thing that's funny about the jail ministry side of things too, is you'll meet people like that. They say, I know you from somewhere. And it's kind of like a counselor. Your counselor can't acknowledge you in public unless you kind of give them permission to do so correct so i can't walk up and be like yeah i know you from when you were locked up because i don't know who's around right, does this yeah. person know does... and so like they'll sit there trying to figure it out sometime i was with a guy a few weeks ago and he well did i know you from such and such no did i know you from such and such no i yeah. and finally I, I said i used to spend some time in charlotte and he goes oh yeah and then he just nodded i'm like okay yeah. You know, I, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not embarrassed of it, but I don't want to. And it, that adds to their story too, especially if they find God. Because yeah. one thing I've learned that it's it's a lot easier to witness to somebody sometimes when you've got more of a, a tainted background. Mm -hmm. um, 
right out of high school. You know, I, I thought it would be fun doing martial arts my whole life. Yeah. But I decided I would just go to the bars and get in fights and start fights. And I was doing the rodeo thing, riding bulls and yeah. and drinking Bud Light and smoking Marlboro Reds. And I mean, it was just that wild party it's side of life that, uh, you know, it, it's a fun chapter of life. I'm glad that I wisened up or actually I got broke because I sucked at riding bulls. <laughs> so I never won any money. Yeah. Um, just spent a lot of it because yeah. it's not a cheap hobby. No. Uh, buddy of mine, he, uh, he made it to the big times. He rides in the PBR. Really? He's made, he's made his claim to fame and a lot of fortune. I'm proud of him because he's just a local guy from yeah. Paris, Tennessee. I tried to talk Leslie into letting us get a mechanical bull for Bird's family camp, <clears throat> but renting them was like $3,000 that I couldn't justify spending like it, so, that much. So Sierra and I used to own a bounce house business. Did you really? And, uh, during that time, it was, it was one of those things. It was time to either jump in both feet, take out right. a big loan and invest a lot. Yep and quit law enforcement or stay where I was safe. Yeah. And I was with kids on, at home. I was too scared to make that plunge. So I stayed where I saved and I just sold the business to a friend. Yeah. But that was one of my investments I was getting ready to buy was a mechanical bull. Those things are expensive. They are super expensive. That and the uh, insurance on them is not, um, evidently <laughs> a significant number of people get maimed on them every year. Man, uh, just having bounce houses. Yeah, they're dangerous. Um, Young guy starting his first business sitting down with marshall fuson trying to get insurance because liability want to make sure i'm covered if little billy bob falls down and bumps his head and for whatever reason i'm not at their house it's their party they rented it but it's going to come back to me right um i did not realize how expensive insurance was yeah you know and uh because it's a entertainment inflatable uh it comes with a higher risk liability than like somebody with a desk business. Yeah. Uh, so, well, that yeah, was, I mean, my, my main liability here is a, you know, a, a paper cut or something. You know? Right. But those do hurt. You know, oh, I drowned somebody baptizing him. I don't think that happens real often. <laughs> you know? It's crazy. It's crazy. All right. So you, you grew up as a church mutt. Yes. And then uh, got away from the church right out of high school. Sierra and I, we started dating in high school on and off. Uh, She'd break up with me. I'd we'd get back together. I'd break up with her. It was kind of like a little game of tag you're it. Yeah. Um, she moved off to college. I moved off to the bars. Uh, I never wanted to go to college. That just wasn't my gig. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to just go straight to making money. I just chose all the wrong places because no nowhere I worked paid really good. Right. Um. <clears throat> but so I got past that point in life, and Sierra and I ran into each other as we always ended up doing so, and we got back together. And long story short. Got married, uh, and uh, in 2007, okay. I stuck, I'm all over the place. So in 2007, two years before we got married, and so backing up a little bit, I decided to go into law enforcement before I was arrested by law enforcement. Right. And uh, I started working at the jail under Tom Wall's administration. And uh, I think I did a pretty good job. A lot of the inmates there had respect for me. Yeah. I, I didn't try to go badge heavy on them and discipline them for dumb stuff. You know, yeah. it's a, it's a give and take and you show respect whether it's because they're in there for a bad reason, Yeah, but it could be a once a one time thing. Yeah. Um, in 2009, I got transferred to patrol. Okay. Uh, there was a lot of concerns because I had to have surgery on my lung in 2007. So they were worried about me being able to make it through the academy. Uh, they was worried about, 
me being able to do the the job. You know, you get in a foot chase with somebody and you've only got one fully functional lung, it can potentially be a problem. Slow you down a little. And so uh, they they took the chance, threw the dice, rolled the risk, and I went to the academy and I did exceptional. Um, Graduated uh, probably middle of my class because that was the advice everybody gave me. You don't want to be first, you don't want to be last because those are the two picked on. Yeah. So I just kind of rode in the middle and yeah. and survived it. Um, ended up in a foot chase one night, and I chased this dude for 300 yards at a dead sprint. Yeah. And now once I caught him, I laid on top of him, and I was like, if you move, this is not going to end well for you. Yeah. Because yeah. I had no move left. Right. <laughs> once I stopped, it was done. No, the end. But that, that, that instance proved that even with my surgery that I had, uh, I was still capable of fully functioning in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I guess maybe talk about the surgery a little bit. I, was about uh, to ask you, we'll I saw you make a note, story. so let's just go ahead and jump to that. Uh, you, you mentioned it a little <clears throat> bit in our Thanksgiving episode. You were one of the people who shared a yes. thing you were thankful for. You said you were thankful for staples. staples. Yes. So in 2007, uh, June 25th, to be exact, I go to the ER. I'm, I'm working at the pool store, um, and it just I start feeling like somebody's stabbing me from my Shoulder all the way down to my hip. It was just nonstop and gradually getting worse. Go to the ER, took some x-rays, diagnosed me with inflammation in the pleura, which is the lining of the lung that holds it to the rib cage, and uh, sent me home. Well, I go back to work because they don't pay my bills now. I got a hospital bill to pay for nothing. Um, I sat at work for maybe 30 minutes. I had to call my parents to come get me. Really? I could not function. I could not drive. Uh... My parents come get me. We're walking through the front door with phones ringing. So dad grabs the phone. It's the ER. Hey, we need you to come back. We found something. The worst thing you could ever hear in your life is we found something from the yeah. ER doctor. We want you to come back is not good. Yeah. So we get back and come to find out 10% of my lung has collapsed. Okay. Um, they don't have a, a cause for it. It's uh, they, The medical term is spontaneous pneumothorax. So it's just random collapsing of the lung. It's basically my lung was forming little blisters, if you will, and they were popping and too many of them at a time, pushing too much air against the outside of my lung. Uh, had the surgeon come in and in the ER, he just does a little chest tube down to my lung, uh, which would let all that air escape, but it had like a check valve so no air could get back in. Gotcha. gotcha. So it would let it inflate itself back up. Okay. Stayed in the hospital, I think, two or three days. Um Went home with this tube hanging out of my chest. That was yeah. fun. Yeah, that feels um, good. Yeah. And then uh, two weeks of that, go back, they remove it. Life's good. Everything's fine. Started working at the sheriff's office September of that year. Okay. Uh, in December, I'm getting up, taking a shower, getting ready for a day of training on how to be a better correctional officer. Okay. And uh, in the shower, I felt something weird, and I was like, instantly knew what it was. So. Yeah go back to the ER, they go, the same surgeon. Yeah. And he's like, Joey, he said, it's happened twice. He's like, well, first time, 20% chance maybe of it ever happening again. Yeah. Second time, 60%, third time, 100%, it's gonna keep right. doing it. So he sent me to Nashville to a thoracic specialist uh, who went in and did this crazy surgery that I was asleep through, so I don't know. <laughs> that's, the um, that's the best part. Uh, some of the best medicines come out of those surgeries uh. too. Uh, had to wear this tube. It was about a about the size of your pinky okay. tube coming out between my ribs. And it was the same thing as that little check valve I had. Yeah. Uh, wore that, I think, for three days. And he come in and 
took it out. And when he took it out, it hurt extremely bad. And he was concerned. He said it shouldn't hurt. Um, he said it should feel weird, but not hurt. I was like, well, you just pulled like a foot and a half of tube out of my rib cage. Yeah. I expect that to hurt. That feels like it should hurt. Um, so the next day I'm up there begging me to get up and walk around the hospital, you know, keep you moving. Mm-hmm. And I, I was short of breath, real short of breath. Mm-hmm. And so they sent me to x-ray. My lung collapsed again. My surgeon is in the room, like apologizing, losing his marbles because he's like, "In I've been doing this for twenty something years, and I've yeah. never had this happen." It's like you've never had me. Congratulations! I'm, I'm that special guy. Yeah. Um, so the the radiologist redid the small chest tube just to let it. Maybe he was thinking maybe he didn't give the talc powder time to set up good enough okay. before he took the tube out. So I wore that small tube for about a week in the hospital. And then when they took that out, it went right back down. Uh, so here we are. All of us are getting frustrated. Yeah. And I go back into the surgery. Well, it was an hour and a half procedure just to remove what he did huh. before he could start over. Um, when he started over, he, what the way he described it to me, he basically filled my lung up and found all these little blisters that were just constantly forming. So he cut that 10% out and then... Mm-hmm. He went through my back with this little staple gun that spit staples out three staples wide, but it's, I think the total width is like a half inch. Okay. And sewed them all the way around and then covered my lung with this talc-like powder and blew it up and glued it to my ribs. So then he had to make the, the joke, well, at least in law enforcement, if you're going to get a shootout, get shot on the right side, that lung will never collapse again. So that's always been my running joke with that. But it was a it was a crazy situation. Yeah. Um, Get, went into the hospital on December 3rd and got discharged on Christmas Eve. Okay, so long time for a young kid yeah. to be in the hospital. Merry Christmas. Yeah. How, how many staples did they put in you? He said around 3,000. But they're all surgical stainless, so I don't <laughs> set off metal detectors. So I bet you light up an x-ray real, real fun. They do. And uh, that that ailment, if you will, is uh, he said it's common in tall, slender, young, white males. Huh. I was... 21 years old at the time and six foot 180 pounds yeah and there you were i did not know that there was a disease delegated just to me so i'm congratulations special yeah the doctor walked in he said i've got good news and bad news he said tell me the good news well they're gonna name it after you you know that's (laughs) that's all you got so right Okay, so you've had that in your background when you head into law enforcement. So Correct. that definitely makes the academy, that that profession. It, it did make it a little concerning starting out. But then after getting my feet wet, so to speak, getting through the academy, getting through the FTO program, running my own patrol car at the sheriff's office, uh, you know, I, I, I got to where it didn't bother me as much. Yeah. Up until that time frame, I was super sensitive. Like, I would lose my cool if somebody even touched my side. Yeah. Um. I was very coddling of it, I guess. Yeah. And then uh, in 2011, uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but cops don't make a lot of money. I've, I've heard. And, and neither do teachers. Yes. And so when a cop is married to a teacher. Yeah. And they have children or a child at that moment. Life's hard. It is. Uh, who knew life was hard when you're young and you just came out of high school where you knew everything and your parents were dumb. Living who knew? love, man. Yeah. So during, during that time, I had to work extra jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I did security at the hospital, traffic control. Yeah. Off-duty cops make way better than on-duty cops. It's crazy. Yeah. And so, doing 
I don't mean to disrespect it, but doing dumb crap like sitting outside a parking garage saying it's full for six hours, you mm. make three times what you made. Actually, Jason, bad guys. I worked for a company out of Nashville who was contracted with AT&T. Yeah. So when you see these AT&T trucks with the trailer behind it, those guys are actually splicing fiber lines. Yeah. Not that I don't know where that's important, but either way, it's what they do. And they pay this other company to provide traffic control for them. Yeah. 90% of the time, those AT&T guys aren't even in the road. So I'm sitting in a truck behind them, watching Netflix, playing a video game on my phone, checking on them every so often, make sure they didn't, they, no, whatever. Uh, when they're ready to hook the line back up, I get out and I stop traffic. They take 10 minutes, do their thing, and we're done. Yeah. It's great. Easy money. Yeah. But I was doing that. So I, I got off shift at, I was on second shift. So that was over at 11. Had to be at the hospital at midnight. Um, just prior to going on the shift, I just got off a six hour shift at the hospital. Okay. So I'd been up for well over 24 hours. That's good for Um, you. again, Sierra and I not having a lot of money. Yeah. We had one vehicle. It was a nice vehicle. It was brand new. My first, <laughs> first brand new truck I ever bought. Do you feel the foreshadowing coming in this part of the story? Yeah. So I get up, Sierra's getting ready. I'm tended to Isaac and drive her to school. She was teaching at United Christian Academy, which cuts teachers pay even lower because private schools yes unfortunately don't pay as well because the tuition cost is there to cover all the expenses payroll and everything thereof so you i used to look at a private school as parents got a lot of money and the teachers make bank yeah and it's not necessarily the case a lot of kids in private school come from lower income families that just want to do better yeah uh dropped her off and i was headed to take isaac to my mom's house okay because cops got to be in shape yeah drop isaac off go to the gym work out go home take a nap go back to work yeah next thing i know sorry no. uh had a bad wreck yeah i remember laying in grass it's and, never a good sign when one moment you're driving next year in grass yeah I, I i remember the impact i remember getting out of the truck and the wet grass, the dew on that grass was the best feeling I've ever had. Really? And uh, the first person I saw, I just cried, my baby. Yeah. So, got a nine-month-old kid, when I see him, covered in blood. Mm. Thankfully, it was all like just small nicks from the glass shattering. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really have many injuries. Yeah. Uh, I got a nice scar on my shin where the dashboard scraped it got a little scar on my foot where it got caught under the pedal and i jerked it out from under the pedal okay. um i know uh my kids joke about me being bald and some of that baldness is from my family Thank thankfully my family's got real good genes i was destined to be bald i just sped it up yeah um both my mom's side and my dad's side yeah all the men are bald so it was gonna happen but uh when i had the wreck my head went into the headliner because i wasn't wearing my seatbelt, and as I, the centrifugal force sent me straight up and then over as the airbag hit me in the stomach. Oh. So the headliner got a lot of my hair and what the headliner didn't get, the windshield took. Uh, so it was a fun moment, I guess, if you will. Uh, I think you used the word fun wrong. I did. Uh, but that's just how I've come to oh. accept it. Um, so brand new truck, had 5,000 miles on it, uh. made two or three payments. Uh, it's no longer a truck. Yeah. Uh, the first vehicle I hit, so I, w I was coming down Beasley Drive, 
Okay. The, the Walmart. So past Walmart. So the section between 48 right there by Ticey Springs yeah. and the electric department. They kind of know where section. Yeah. And it's got a slight bend in it as you're coming around. Well, I straightened that bend out. Okay. The only section with a guardrail, thankfully, because it's got a big drop off. Okay. Um, I, I guess I fell asleep driving yeah. is the best that we could come up with. Yeah. And uh, I sideswiped pa my passenger side to the passenger side of a vehicle going the other way. That's how far over oh, I was. Wow. Okay. And totaled that car. Mm -hmm. And then I hit a Jeep head on. And man, during that situation, a uh, buddy of mine goes, picks her up, brings her to the crash site. It probably wasn't the best idea. <laughs> Sierra um, tells that story. And uh, by the way, Joey hasn't heard what Sierra has recorded at the moment. I have not heard her story yet. Um, we leave the crash site and go to the ER where... I've been working at the ER, so I, I understand the stress that this staff is under. Right. Which makes you a better patient. Yeah. So I'm sitting in there strapped on this spine board, neck collar on, immobile. Yeah. Because they haven't done a CT scan to see if anything's doing surgery or can. Right. So I'm hurting, but, you know, I, the doctor was really good to me. Um, and I remember asking for some pain, something for pain. Yeah. And some time had went by. And. My mom and Sierra's both started to get aggravated. They're like, why are they not bringing you pain meds? I'm like, just calm down. There's something yeah. else that's more important probably. Yeah. You know, I'm not that important. And uh, as far as like my circumstance. Right, triage. And, You're not actively dying. Yeah. And uh, come find out there was the boy that I wrecked into lost his life. Um, that's tough. That's real tough. Um, he was young, 23. Um, that was a... A hard, uh, hard thing to live with. Yeah. Uh, I'm off work. Uh, thankfully, in law enforcement, they do have a good network. Yeah. Of stress management. Right. So there's a, a guy named Peter Cove. I'll never forget this guy. He taught a class at the academy, and my training supervisor uh, set me up with him. And what his whole job is in this lease program is to connect officers across the state with other officers that have already gone through that circumstance. So you know you're not alone. So, you know, an officer that's involved in a in a shooting isn't going to help me. Right. But he connected me with four different officers that were involved in car crashes that turned fatal. Yeah. And uh, some of them were while they were at work. Some of them were, like me, you know, off work. Uh, that helped a little bit. Uh, them, they came by and checked on me a lot. But, you know, as anything else, as time goes on, things start to slow down yeah and then you're left feeling in the dark right uh so there was one moment i was in my at the house where at that point we were living in a house that had extra bedrooms because we just had one kid at the moment yeah and so one bedroom was dedicated to all my cop stuff so i could lock my guns and everything away from isaac's little baby hands right and getting to and uh we had a bed. It was a spare bedroom, so if companies came over, it was accessible. But uh, I was in there getting ready for work, and I just, I was done. Yeah. You know? And so I'm sitting there looking at my gun, thinking about just being done. Yeah. And thankfully for God, he, uh, he sent Sierra. Mm. So 
as I'm sitting on this bed thinking about this, uh, I hear footsteps. Obviously, I did not want her to walk in and see nothing. Yeah. And so I hid my gun under my mattress like a kid. Yeah. As I'm wearing my full uniform, I got an empty holster <laughs> and I'm hiding my gun because I'm a kid now. And Sierra comes in just to just tell me she loved me. Yeah. And uh, I was able to get out of my headspace. Mm. It was my first day, I think, going back to work from the wreck. Okay. Uh, so we're probably two or three weeks after the fact. Um, I was off work for a week and a half and I wasn't ready to go back to work. So the doctor extended my time off and we had a family vacation plans. So I thought that would be good to yeah, just get away. <laughs> you can't get away. Well, no, that's going to be with you. Well, that, and we're on a cruise in the Bahamas yeah. on a snorkeling adventure. Yeah. And I'm sitting there just chilling, catching my breath. Yeah. And the lifeguard that's on the boat, is just carrying on a small conversation. And this other lady that was there, she was like, a, she was like, what part of Tennessee are you from? I was like, a small town outside Nashville called Dixon. She's like, really? We're at in Dixon. I was like, well, I live over off 48 South. She's like, I live on North Charlotte Street. This lady ends up in the Bahamas with me. Yeah. She works at Burns Elementary. Okay. My cousin was the principal at the time. Yeah. So we have all these connections. And she's like, where do you work? And I told her. And she's like, do you know that poor deputy that had the wreck? Oh, my. I was like, <laughs> yes, ma'am. That was me. I've never seen somebody's face go so blank and swim away so fast from conversation. <laughs> it was a, it was a moment, uh, but it was like, man, I just can't escape this. Right. Uh, and it took it took a lot, um, and that was when I really found God. Like I was christened at the Lutheran Church when I was 15, 13, and then I was baptized at Free Will Baptist as an adult because, in in the faith, you know, the Bible talks about water baptism and full submission. And to be involved at the church you and to be members, you had to be baptized. Yeah. And so we did that and uh, lost my train of thought where I was going with that for a second. Uh, you talked a little bit about how you kind of oh, find God in this. This So you had been, you had been christened. Yes. But now. Uh, but, you know, everybody talks about that aha moment. Well, yeah. This was my aha moment. Like I, as cliche as it sounds, I just broke down and I bawled like a baby. And I just prayed for God to take the burden away. Yeah. And it was instant. I mean, absolute instant that I just felt a, a ton of bricks off my back. Yeah. And uh, at that moment, I knew, one, that God is real. Yeah. And so the verse I mentioned earlier that I was going to mention, the, the one verse when you should really look at the whole context of the yeah. whole scripture, but but this verse helped get me through that. And I, I, I remember there was a part of this verse in the Bible. I just did not know where. So I go to my preacher at the Free Will Baptist. I was like, I give him this one little snippet yeah. to test, test his knowledge. There you go. And before I finish, he's like, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Okay. And so that's become, I guess, my life verse. Yeah. I go by it. And it, I'm going to read it real quick. I, I, I like the New King James Version the best. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faith, faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you will be able to bear it. And when I broke that verse down, line by line, like whether you classify temptation as peer pressure, right. you know, or, or just regular daily life, like yeah. every, everything we do in life is a temptation. Yeah. Whether we choose to drink water or soda, are we tempted to drink sugars or, or something better for us? Um, 
And for me, my struggle was with Rick. Like that was my temptation pulling my faith. Yeah. And and so when I broke that verse down, like the most powerful part, God's faithful. Yeah. He just wants us to need him and to come to him. And when I did and I felt that burden gone, then I was like, man, it's all coming together because he gave me the way to escape. The yeah. way to escape anything is through God. Mm-hmm. Um, and now looking back, he put something on me that I'm able to bear. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people probably couldn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think I could. Uh, and now I've been able to use that. You know, when I was a cop arresting people, mm-hmm. like I've been at the bottom of the barrel. I know where you're at tonight. You know, and it, when you have somebody arrested in the back of your patrol car, that is the most captive audience to witness to. <laughs> like they can't go nowhere. They yeah, can yeah. act like they're ignoring you, but they, yeah, you still hear people when they're talking. Yeah. Um, and I was given multiple opportunities to witness to people. Yeah. Witness to a, a young girl who tried to commit suicide. Um, and she was in a bad situation. Her house was broken. Her mom and her mom's girlfriend were living together. Dad and stepmom was living together. And, and she was just so confused with life. Yeah. And uh, I'm taking her from her mom's house to her dad uh, to get her away from the, the situation at the moment that was causing stress. Right. And during that time, I'm listening to her. And a group of friends of mine, they have a, a Christian band. They they climbed the charts all the way, or not the charts, but the ladder all the way to the top and then yeah. realized that wasn't where they wanted their ministry. So they, yeah. they gave up a record deal and everything. Oh, that's cool. Um, but in their first album they released, the band's about a mile. I don't know if you've heard of them. All three boys live here in Dixon. They moved from Pennsylvania. Really cool group of guys. Um, but in one of their songs, it's called uh, SOS. Okay. And I never really put that song into the context it was written until I watched their video up to it on YouTube. Yeah. And and it's about a person struggling and, and thinking about ending life and then finding God and giving all the burdens to God. So I'm playing this song to this young girl. Yeah. And we're witnessing to her and telling her, hey, I've been there. I know what it's like. Uh, and I, I've never ran across past with this girl again. I don't know if it helped her or not. Yeah. I know it got me rode up because apparently you're not supposed to talk church to people, <laughs> especially minors when you're working for the government. But yeah. I didn't care. You know, something's bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just it gave me such a platform to stand on. And then uh, I decided uh, I was tired of working three and four jobs. Yeah. Yeah, especially after an incident like that. So yeah, you don't want to live life for you. A little further down the road, uh, we now have three kids. And while they know what causes that. They do. Um they they do. We figured it out. We okay. we fixed that problem. Okay. <laughs> um and so after we come home from the hospital with Zoe, my current boss and his wife, they brought us a cash roll dinner. Yeah. And uh, while we're there hanging out, because me and him have been friends, I started at the pool store in 05 after my buddy c- convinced me to work there for free, yeah. uh, and I finally asked for a paycheck. Yeah. And uh, we just grew a friendship from there. Yeah. Um, and he he made me an offer to come run his business. Yeah. And I told him what I made working four jobs, and he's like, well, I can't touch that. Yeah. He's like, this is the best that I can do. And I was like... I will find a way to make that work. Yeah. And I did. And and it's, it's blossomed from there. Uh, and it's, it's been so peaceful not having to go from one job to the next job and never see your family. Yeah. I mean, by the time Zoe's born, Isaac's now what, four years old, yeah. something like that. And I don't remember really those four years because mm-hmm. I was always gone working. 
And that's what's so tough about all of the kind of first responder jobs. You know, almost everybody has the main job and then maybe they have the exact same job, but for another department, maybe they just do yep. side work or contract work. Maybe they have a side hustle. Maybe they cut grass. Maybe, I mean, exactly. everybody has 18 jobs. And Yeah. Public, public servants is, uh, it, it's a career chosen out of loyalty and love, not yeah. for finances. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if Sierra would have become a doctor, I could have still <laughs> played police. Well, she wanted to. She did want to be a doctor. That's just when I proposed her. I thought I was going to be retired at 30. <laughs> and jokes on me, she changed that to teaching. Man, man. Well, why don't you go become a doctor? I don't like school. <laughs> I tried college uh, when I was a cop because to make it anywhere in that career, you got to have a criminal justice degree. Yeah. And I tried the online college. Uh, I tried the brick and mortar college. Just it wasn't for me. So now I'm paying back college loans for nothing. But uh, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm really blessed where I'm at now because during the summer, yeah, they don't get to see me a lot. I'll put in 70, 80 hours a week. Pool season's rough. Pool season is rough, but I enjoy it. It's a it's a fun rough. I love my job. And no one's shooting at you. Not yet. It's never happened. Um, <laughs> so knock on wood. I've had some pretty upset customers. Yeah. Uh, when their pool is not pretty, and it's my fault because they buy Walmart chemicals. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm supposed to be able to fix that. And, oh, and it's your fault that they have trees that fill it with leaves. or Exactly. You know, they haven't done anything to it in three months yeah. and they can't figure out yeah, what they They put the one chemical I recommended to put in six months ago and now the pool's still green. Yeah. I don't get it. One day we'll figure that out. But uh, it's a blessing and a burden at you times. Just gotta explain this to me. We have a hot tub, right? Mm -hmm. And Leslie is a chemist. She is an analytical chemist. She mm -hmm. has a doctorate in chemistry. Why am I the one who has to figure out how, what to do to the water, this one, the, 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 the hot tub? What's the deal? That's just how it, that's the way it always works out. <laughs> it's so funny. She, she, we first got it. She started reading it, and then she started trying to explain to me the chemistry behind all this stuff. I'm like, Leslie, I don't need to know the chemistry. I just need to know I add half, a, half an ounce of this, you know? Yeah. And it's all, it's all a guessing game. I mean, uh, there's, there's measurements on the bottles, and you can get it down to an exact science. Yeah. But even when I treat the water in the baptistry, I check it, the pH and the chlorine, and then I add a, a dose of pH down if it's high. I don't know if it's the correct dose. I stir it around and I check it. Oh, yep. I got it right. We're good. Hey, don't need to add enough. nothing else. Um, That's funny. Even the hot tub, I mean, it's nowhere near as hard as a pool just because there's so much more water in a pool. But It's all, it's opposite. Oh, really? Hot water in a small, smaller body is harder to maintain than a big body of water. I guess that makes sense because a little bit changes it quickly. Exactly. It's, uh, it's like a fish tank. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yep. You have a small aquarium. It's 10 times harder than those 200-gallon yeah. aquariums. That's true. That's true. Hmm. Yeah, I thought about that. Now, the good thing is if uh, if I do it wrong, I can drain the water and refill it in an afternoon and just call it quits. Right. You know? Um, where was I going to go? I think I just ruined your train of thought tonight. Yeah, a little brain fart there. Uh. <laughs> it's not the first time it's happened. Well, you just kind of told the story of your testimony. You told the story of, um, you know, how God kind of got hold of you and said, here I am. Absolutely. And I was able to take that testimony and walk streets in Cuba when I was at First Baptist. Yeah. And we witnessed, uh, I think me and my partner personally witnessed to at least 100, 125 people. Wow. The group as a whole between the two cities we're in witnessed to uh, close to 1,000. That's cool. Um, and during that week we was there, they they told us that there was over 300 professions of faith made. Wow. Um, my first, the first house, first testimony I ever gave, uh, 
this we're they had it broke down into prayer houses so the way the town is made up you know over there they don't have a lot of cars right there's not a lot of money and so a lot of people their health or distance they can't make it to church yeah so the preacher would set up prayer houses in every little community yeah and so on tuesday nights they would gather there and they would praise and worship and devotions yeah and so that's who would orchestrate where we went to witness. We'd go to the prayer houses and they would bring people in. They'd kind of show you what to do. And uh, the first one I ever shared my testimony with, this family had this young boy, he was 11. And this kid looked like he had an autopsy done. He had a, a true Y mm. scar on his chest. He had a rare heart disease, had to have open heart surgery. Wow. And that just shows how their medicine is so much different than ours. Cause I mean, this was in 2018, 19? Yeah. When I went. So, I mean, medicine's pretty far advanced. Like open heart yeah. surgery was of now small, smaller scars, yeah. but not down there. Right. And uh, they didn't expect this kid to live. Like I'm sitting there hearing this story, like I shouldn't be, y'all should be listening to this kid. Like this is yeah. proof of faith right here. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just, it was really humbling. Like my very first testimony to ever share, I got humbled by somebody else's mm -hmm. and it was, it was more as cliche as it is, I think I got more out of that mission trip than I, I provided. That's what everybody who, who does any of those trips experiences. You know, you realize just how, yeah, we may have more material blessings. We may have more stuff, toys, houses, but, well, Jesus, well, in Luke's gospel, he just said, blessed are the poor. Yeah. Maybe he meant it. Absolutely. Those trips, yeah. though, man, they do something for you. They are powerful. Uh they're powerful. Man, you come back on fire when you come back from, it's almost like when I go to a pool conference, when I get back <laughs> after all this management training, like I'm about to fix everything that's wrong with this business. We're going to make millions of dollars. That's right. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm trying. <laughs> Every house but, of Dixon's going to have a pool whether they need it or not. <laughs> exactly. But you, you just, you come back out of those moments of just, you're on fire. Like everything you want to do, you want to serve, yeah. you want to preach, you want to share. And, uh, I think it's good for everybody to have that experience. Sierra got that experience. I think she probably shared some of that. She hers about India. That was hers was a interesting trip, but <laughs> uh, that's again that that's all her story. To, yeah. I don't know what all she shared because I haven't heard it yet, so I don't want to throw too much out there. Um, she talked about the thing that made that trip exceptionally difficult. Yeah, yeah. The Chris situation was very hard. Yeah. Um, and then uh, trying to figure out how to get back. Yeah. You know, and keeping your mouth shut because they wouldn't let you back if they heard something like that happen. Yeah. It's it's tricky. I mean, even our our Honduras thing, you know, our flights got canceled. Oh man, y'all had a hunted twenty four hour time. Um we ended up making the decision to drive home because we're in Miami. Um and I'm glad we did because uh I know that our first three flights the next day were all significantly late, so I'm pretty sure we wouldn't have gotten home that day. I right. Think it would have been another day. Yeah. By the time the system recovered enough and we were all beyond ready to get back. And, and you know, that was in America. It was a simple problem. Um, thanks to be to God, I have a credit card and a driver's license. And if you have those two things, you can have a rental car and you can get home. Exactly. You know? yeah, my, to be in India. Yeah. Woo. Now I, I will say I, I became very, very close in love with the Miami airport. Yeah. Cause, uh, we stopped there on the way back from Cuba. Everybody says, don't drink the water and it'll do bad things to good people. <laughs> I didn't drink the water, but I didn't think about the ice cubes. Yeah, the ice cubes will get you. Yeah, so we had a 12-hour layover in Miami, and I was very thankful for that. You spent all 12 hours 
on the throne. I was miserably sick for almost all 12 hours. Praying the whole time. Yes. God take me. God take it me. Was, it was interesting. But uh, I, I wouldn't trade that trip for anything. Yeah. Um, and then you just continuously add to your story. Yeah. I mean, life's not a paved road of gold. No. And, you know? and that's what's so important about this. Um, you know, these aren't my stories to tell. Like, I don't get to come here to tell my story or other people's stories. I ask people to come here to tell their stories. But there are at least two other people that I know of that have been connected to this church who have a story very similar to your Rex story. Mm-hmm. And you had to navigate the feelings of yeah. guilt and what if and shame and fear. and Yeah, I, I was, I got really, when I was driving down the road listening to Coco's yeah. uh, story, because his, uh, I remember when he had that wreck. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's very, very close similarities. Yeah. Uh, you know, the one thing that I can be thankful for, because when a cop is involved in a, a wreck of that magnitude. Yeah. It makes national news. You've got a target on your back. I was I was all over the media. Uh, the local media was posting it as I wasn't involved, but I caused it. Yeah. And I mean, they're not wrong, but it's it's all about what's going to sell. Yeah. And and so the best thing that could have happened to me during that circumstance was the officer that worked the wreck. Um, he had conversed with some of the highway patrol uh, because the city of Dixon, they work all of their wrecks, no matter how severe they are. Right. Unless it's one of their own. And at that time I wasn't, I was at the sheriff's office. Right. And uh, one of the troopers, he told the uh, investigating officer, he said, he said, you do everything you can to get an indictment and put him in jail. Because then if they don't indict, you wash your hands clean, doing everything you could. Yeah. And, and he, had a file. He put, took a good size file to yeah. the grand jury. He presented his case, uh, had testimony from the boy's mom. Yeah. And, uh, and then the, the grand jury decided that there was no, no true bill. No. Yeah. Trying. There was no true bill in, of indictment issued because it was truly an accident. There was no, no gross negligence, no gross yeah. negligence. Yes. That's the word I was looking for. And, uh, I was very thankful for that because, I, I'm not built for jail. No. <laughs> well, you're not that cute, but you know. Uh, but, no, and I mean, jail's hard, but it's hard for a cop. And and my family, you know, they extended their gratitude. Or not gratitude, that's a horrible word to use. Wow. Yeah. They extended their condolences yeah. and went to the visitation of the young boy. Yeah. And then uh, here we are a few years later, managing the pool store. Hire a kid. This kid goes to work for me. He's riding, driving because my service guy at the moment couldn't drive, and uh, so so this guy he's helping my service guy by chauffeuring him and being his helping hands on the job sites. Yeah. They come in one afternoon, and I see this tattoo on his arm, right. and it was a memorial tattoo for the same name that I had a wreck against. And I was like, man, and uh, so I, I just pulled him off to the side, like let's get the elephant out of the ring. Yeah. We need like, to talk about I was this. like, hey, man, there's nothing you can say right now that's going to hinder your position here. Whatever you've got, got to say to me, get it off your chest. You know who I am. Yeah. And he did. And uh, he's like, man, for, for years, he said, I just wanted you dead. Yeah. He said, I wanted to torture you. I wanted to make you suffer. He's like, now that I work for you and I see you, who you are, who you really are, not who I thought you were, just being a cop and me being the opposite end of that at his time of life, uh, he's like, you're just a, 
a husband and a dad trying to make his way. And he's like, and I hate that you have to wear that on your shoulders. Yeah. And uh, I, I, it was a really good bonding moment for yeah. he and I. Uh, he was able to lose some of his uh, hate and discontent yeah. towards me. And, uh, you know, we was able to be weird guys for a moment and just kind of hug and yeah. cry on each other's shoulder for a minute. And every year on the anniversary of the wreck, I ask him how he's doing, and he asks me how I'm doing, and yeah. we go about work. Yeah. Well, you know, it's significant that that's kind of a piece that goes both directions, and you don't always get that, you know. You don't always get that at all. It makes it hard. And then when you go down the road, uh, I, I think Sierra talked a little bit about this, and her story was she and I ended up having issues. Yeah. And uh, a, lo a lot of people don't know, but we're not legally married. Yeah. Uh, we did go through a divorce. Uh, there was just a time of where we both just didn't feel like each other wanted to be around each other anymore. Yeah. We did counseling. Counseling was amazing. Uh, so I, I, I almost encourage everybody, whether your marriage is good or not, There's probably every marriage probably has some hidden secret that they don't know about each other. Uh, and it's good to get that out. And I, I mean, I think about the things that you guys brought into your marriage, um, and I'm not getting too deep into your stories because those are, again, your stories to tell. But uh, the life of a police officer is very hard on a relationship. It is. Financial stress is hard on a relationship. Complicated grief is hard on a relationship. And you take all that stuff together and mix together with the fact that, uh, you know, her parents weren't together. Your families of origin were very different in how they did things. Yeah. Um, I'm not making excuses, but it... People don't understand just how easy it is to get there. It's very easy, I think. Uh, communication is key. And we got to a point where we was not communicating good. Yeah. Um, we both kind of just drowned ourselves in work and the children, and that was kind of our escape because uh, we felt alone. We felt like I felt like she wasn't interested in me anymore, and she felt the same about me. Um, and it, it doesn't take long for that feeling to spiral. Yeah. Uh, but thankfully, uh, I'm stubborn, and I was not going to let her just walk away. Yeah. So I fought for her, and we was able to finally figure it out, and I think it's made us better. Um, What's cool is, without you guys telling me this, this is not a story I ever would have known. Like, I wouldn't have looked at the two of you and gone, oh, man, they sure had a lot of trouble. Oh, my, you know what I mean? When I told my boss uh, about it initially, that I think I, I told him, I was like, I think Sierra and I was going to get a divorce. Yeah. He's like, man, he's like, if y'all get a divorce, there's no hope for any of us. <laughs> like, we, we did really good at putting on a, a fake persona. On a show. Everybody thought everything was gravy. Uh, Facebook reality is not as real as people think. <laughs> uh, but I feel like uh, we both had really good support when when the trouble arose. Like, we, we found out who was really close to us, who our friends were. Our family was there for us. Yeah. Uh, and... I hate that we had to go through all of that. Yeah. Uh, I hate it for the kids because that was a tough time of life. Uh, yeah. I mean, after after she moved out, the nights that she had the kids, I, I didn't want to be in the house by myself. Yeah. So I found myself at the bar. Yeah. I lived at the bar. I had one goal in life during that moment, and that was to destroy my liver. And thankfully, I was unsuccessful, but I've probably <laughs> done some damage. Um your and, lungs weren't enough, so you had to finish off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Got to go after something different. That's right. Uh, but How's yeah. your spleen doing? Right? Um, 
and it, it was a very difficult time. Yeah. Uh, and once we got back together, it's, it took a lot yeah. to, to break those habits. Uh, you know, I'm, I've always been a person that says that I don't feel like there's anything wrong with, with consuming alcohol as long as you don't take it too far. Right. Uh, during that time I was taking it too far. Right. Um, doing things that I shouldn't do. Um, and th- thankfully it was just me in an alcoholic bottle versus me and just trying to find peace with another person. Yeah. You know, and that's a story that could have had a whole lot of different bad endings. That's it a story really could that have led to a wreck. That's a story that could have led to a really awful relationship. Uh, yeah. And th- thankfully, uh, thankfully we, uh, have been able to get ourselves together and, and become a family. That's and awesome. I'm, I'm hoping that as our kids grow up, they can see that families are hard, but with good work and, and the right amount of faith, you're able to get through it. Man, I saw this thing on Facebook. It said, marriage is hard, divorce is hard, choose your hard. Uh, uh, I saw that same one before I, I got rid of Facebook. I have My life is such a, a nice little, my, I live in my own bubble now. Oh, do you want me to just like read some nasty comments from Tip Dixon for you? It's like <laughs> people yelling at each other. I have no social media. Um, I watch Hulu, so I don't get commercials. Man. I don't see the news. Like I'm just in my little bubble of life where I go to work and I have my family and we're in this chapter of life. And it's but you're great. happier that way. Man, you're so much less stressed when if you If I don't... could give everybody some advice, it would be unplugged, if not forever take one of your social media outlets and just turn it off or, or just put put it. the whole phone down for one day yeah. one day a week alone uh or an hour every evening just no no technology just time yeah time in the bible time in thought prayer outside, conversation see the stars yeah whatever it is just time play with a rock you know yeah man that's how it was when we were kids mm-hmm. we didn't have social media we didn't even i didn't even have a cell phone in high school well i this is my soapbox, but I think the world's a way better place before 24-hour cable news. Because when the news was on at, at 5 and 10, mm-hmm. they had three minutes to tell you the story, and then it was on to the next story, and they were done. But now that it's on 24-7, they have to fill the air. So somebody's going to get up there and talk, and they're either going to make up stuff, or they're going to speculate, yeah, or then they're going to move to the emotions. And the whole point of, of news is to make you angry so that you keep watching. Exactly, because... Good news doesn't sell. No. Everybody wants to feed into somebody else's drama. Yeah. And that's the sad part of the world we're living in. But I feel like that's uh, it's going to take a, a big awakening to change that mentality. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> well, Joey, man, this has been fun. It's been a blast. Is there a story you haven't got to tell you'd like to? I think we covered most all of it. I mean, we didn't cover anything significant or deep or painful at all. So. No, not at all. <laughs> this, was, this was a light and easy, refreshing podcast. It was. It okay. was. It's great. You know, I almost wish we could do uh, like a watch party where you and Sierra listen to each other and then we recorded y'all responding to it so we can watch y'all like, <laughs> hitting each other at various <laughs> stages. The good thing is, no matter what I've said or what she has said, because again, I haven't heard hers and obviously we're recording this right now, so she hasn't heard it. Correct. But there's nothing that either one of us could say that, especially after going through what we went through with our marriage yeah. and the counseling Nothing is hidden. There's no like, surprise. There's, there's not surprises between us now. That's awesome. It makes a world of difference. Ooh, it sure does. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, Joey, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the time to share your story and share uh, some real stuff. Um, this was good. This was good. Well, friends, thanks for listening. You know where to find us. We'll see you again. And until next time, we can't wait to hear what God is up to in your story. Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes His love into our stories.